0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon, and remember. You are love.
1: Amen. Hey, Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Um, hopefully, we're all there, and we've been having this great time through this book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We've been challenged through this series that we've come to call it Under the Sun. Everyone say under Under the Sun. As we say Under the Sun, maybe you did not know this, but we do have some more shirts there in the lobby. Go get a shirt before you leave today. And especially if yours is already damp and you got a little wet coming in, go get yourself a dry shirt we love to, to, to sell you a nice, under-the-sun, crisp shirt. They're actually wonderful qualities. It's, it's one of my favorite shirts that we've made so far, the quality of it. Make sure you get those shirts if you don't have one yet. Under the sun. And we've had such a good time rocking these shirts and sharing all these um, passages. And we find ourselves today in chapter 7. And the way God is, he's going to get us through this and me through this to share the word today. But so far, what have we learned? We've gone over six chapters. We've done six sermons, six already uh, conversations on this book. And we said in part one, we said, where does God fit in your life? Part two, we said, how do I find happiness? These are some of the titles um, of every single conversation that we had each Sunday for the last six or seven weeks. <clears throat> part three, it's the work that God does. Part four was don't be alone. Part five, guard your worship. And last week we spoke about the, part six, the good life. What is a good life? Remember that? So today we are in part seven. Write that down in your notes. And I'll give you guys in a moment the title of today's message. But before we do that, I said we're right over the midway point of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're coming down the hill now to start getting ready to touch up on some things to eventually uh, finalize our journey on, on this book, Under the Sun. And I love that the midpoint verse, if you were to grab the verse that is in the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's actually Chapter 6, verse 10. Look at this verse. I, 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 I believe it's so fitting that this would be the midpoint verse of the whole book. I just think God is so cool how he does it. And it's this. It says, whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he And I think that this is so amazing that Solomon, the author of this book, and this is the mid-verse old book, and we know that God is sovereign, God knows all things, God is in control, and who can dispute, who can out-maneuver, and who could out-knowledge the mind of God? No man can dispute with God who is stronger than us. It is impossible and it's funny that Solomon would write this because we know some of his struggles in his life and what this verse must have meant to him when he wrote it. As he wrestled with God and he disputed with God. God said, don't do certain things. And Solomon went on with his life and still turned his back on what God asked him. And, and who, why Solomon would you do this to one who is stronger than you? And yet he writes these very words. I just think it's so beautiful, Scripture, and and what a fitting verse for Ecclesiastes to be the mid-verse, almost as if it's the heart of the book of Ecclesiastes. So all things are, as we know, foreknown, (coughs) foreordained by God. God is God, and we know that in Scripture. And no man, come on, what man can Successfully Contend With God Who is mightier Than us No man So As we get into Chapter 7 And, and, and we know Who this God is That we're reading and, and, and what he's dealing In Solomon's life As Solomon is writing this I want us all To remember That all of this Is a journey It's a journey That Solomon Is taking To define The meaning of life And that's what Solomon is doing He writes To us So that we could read these things today in our day to see what his findings are. The reader is reading the findings of Solomon. Beautiful sound, right? Love that sound. And what we've been doing for these last six weeks entering our seventh week is reading and learning from a wise king. A wise king. And everything that he processes in his life and in his mind under the sun. And we're just kind of diving into his mind and to see what he thinks and how he's kind of chewed on some of these life lessons. So today, in chapter 7, as we find ourselves, we continue reading this practical wisdom from King Solomon. Through his words, you'll see as he does so beautifully, he carves, he carves in detail and yet carefully the differences between being foolish and being wise. and your notes, write this down. There's a difference between being a fool and being one who is wise. And I hope today that if you're here today or if you're listening to this, your desire in life is to be wise. Who wants to live life a fool? The truth is many people choose to live life like that. I don't know if you've ever looked at someone that continues and continues and continues and you just look at them and say, oh, gosh, what a fool. How will they ever, when will they ever get it? And I believe that Solomon is writing to us to show us that there's a difference and God wants us to live in wisdom, to grow in wisdom, not to be foolish. So let's read the first nine verses to see what I mean. There's so much wisdom in the first nine verses. See if you catch them. Highlight them. Write your own notes on it. I can't cover everything within 30, 40 minutes. You write some notes and look what he says in verse one. It says, a good name is better than precious ointment or a good reputation, right, is better than costly perfume. And the day of death, he's saying, is better than the day of birth. Remember, Solomon has this we might read it like a twisted way of looking at life. (laughs) I don't know if it's necessarily twisted. I've told you since week one, it's more of a caution. It's more of a warning. So he's very direct. You have some, a friend or a family member who's very straightforward with their words. That's kind of how Solomon is treating it. He's warning us. He's direct to us and He's telling us, be cautious. And he says, it's better the day of death than the day of birth. Verse 2, it is better, listen to what he says next, to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. You guys agree with that? This is Solomon writing, for this is the end of all mankind. He's basically saying it's better to spend your time at funerals than it is at parties. After all, everyone dies. Think about the words of Solomon. Living, the living will lay it to heart. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, he says. Hmm. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools, there's the fool, is in the house of mirth. So he's basically saying, this individual thinks only about having a good time, the fool. Verse 5, it is better for a man to hear, love this verse actually, you should highlight this one, circle this one, make this one close to your heart. This is a really good one. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. He's basically saying, as New Living says it, it's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Think about that. Who will you learn more from? From the fool who's praising you or from the wisdom that's correcting you? Verse 6, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. (laughs) This is... Also, vanity. That's what this is. All meaningless, vaporish. It's no weight in life. It's just foolish. Verse 7, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and bribe corrupts the heart. Verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. What is he basically saying? It's better to finish, right, than how you start. So that's, that's, there's some truth and wisdom in that. Look what he says next. We're going to actually attack this verse in a moment. And the patient in spirit to become <clears throat> is better, sorry, than the proud in spirit. So, so he brings two peas out and he says there's one who is patient and there's one who is proud. Better is the patient in spirit. Look what he says in verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Look what he says. For anger Lodges in the heart of fools. Another translation says finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper. Write that down in bold in your notebook. In your smart pad, on your phone. Control your temper. For anger labels you a fool is what he's saying. Hey, did you catch any wisdom? Anything stick out? Let's just have like some, like some moments of dialogue here. Anything stick out so far to anyone? Then anything like, woof, got that one. Took this one in my pocket. Anyone? Say it out loud if you caught one. Verse one. The first? Verse one. Read it out loud. What is it? It is better to heed a wise man's
0: rebuke than to listen to the song of a
1: fool. Yeah, the wise man's rebuke better than the song of a fool. Good. That's a good one. Verse 5. Anyone else catch anything? Sorry? Patience versus being proud, right? The importance of patience. That's a good one too. That last one we ended. Anyone else catch anything that, that, that touched them? Like, oh, I got to put that one in close to my heart. Well, hopefully you grab all of these. Control yeah, control your temper. Don't be angry. Control your temper. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. It's going to be good stuff. So what we're seeing is... is It's something very important here in this text. We're seeing that Solomon, he's telling us something. And he's telling us, yes, that life is important. You saw that in the beginning as I talked about funerals and parties and the person that that chooses one after the other. And which one's the fool and which one's the wise one. And we'll discuss that. But he is really um, highlighting the importance of our lives. That life is important. And it is important to go through life that as we do that, that we must be growing in wisdom as we do. That as we are in life, are we functioning in wisdom? Are we growing in wisdom? I was taken to this verse as I thought about Solomon and I want every single person to write this down. Actually, we're going to memorize a verse today. It's actually Psalm chapter 90 verse 12. Listen to these words. It says, Teach us, to realize the brevity of life or, the, or teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. I want us all to repeat this and I'm going to put it on the screen. Here is the title of today's message. It is the longest title that I've ever given a message. And the title is Psalm 90.12. Today's message is titled and we're going to memorize it today. Lord. Teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. You guys didn't do a good job repeating. Repeat after me. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. That is today's message. Today's message is titled, Teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. We're going to say it like 10 times today. And you're going to walk out of here saying, Lord, teach me to number my days so that I can grow in wisdom. And you're going to be making dinner tonight and you're going to say, Lord, teach me to number my... And then auntie's going to be there and say, what are you saying? And you're like, I just memorized Psalm 90 to teach me, Lord, how to number my days so that I can grow in wisdom. Dia, auntie, you need some wisdom. You need to pray the same prayer that I'm praying, Psalm 90:12. So let's get into this as I believe that this is Solomon's heart and he says better... Better is what? He says, better is the day of death than the day of birth. When I read that, I said, hmm, I had to put my Bible down and I had to read it like 10 more times, put it down again, go to some commentary and say, whoa, how can an individual tell someone else that better is their death date than the day of birth? Well, when you start to look at the language and how it's written out, he's not necessarily speaking to that person directly, but he's speaking of the death of another. That it's better the death of someone else than the joy of a child being born. Not, <laughs> look how deep he's thinking. Not knowing anything yet of that child. We just celebrated baby Mavery at our church. When a child is born, everyone applauds and shows the picture. and We're all so happy without knowing what that child will do in 15 years <laughs> or in 20 years, will we still applaud and be like, woof, beautiful, to any of our to any child that is born? You may say, man, this is kind of sadistic the way you're thinking about this, but it's true. I'm th- I am do I'm not calling any of your children anything close, but I think of like of a Jeffrey Dahmer when he was born. And he was born, wow, little Jeffrey is beautiful. I wonder if at the end of his life, if people were applauding Jeffrey Dahmer and saying, oh my God, he's such a a beautiful man. I want you to see the depth of what Solomon is saying and and what he's thinking. It's someone else than the joy of a child not knowing anything. That through someone else's death, hopefully we can learn how that person lived out their life. Did they live a life of wisdom? Were they an individual who had influence? Were they someone with great reputation? When you die, don't you want to be known as someone who followed God, who had a good reputation, who was loyal and honorable, who was filled with wisdom? I'm just asking, wouldn't you say that is a successful death thing, uh, a successful uh, title on the tomb? And he says, here is a person who's passing and a person who is born. That in someone's passing, there could also be a celebration of what that person has left for others to follow. I love uh, Charles Spurgeon's quote. He says this. He says, death is the end of dying. (laughs) On the day of the believer's death, dying is is forever done with. The saints who are with God shall never die anymore. Any saints in here can say amen? No saints in here can say amen. Scary. Life, he says, Charles Spurgeon says, life is (coughs) wrestling, (coughs) struggling, but death is the end of conflict. It is rest, victory. So Solomon is telling us that we could all look at our lives so differently and hopefully it's with wisdom. All of our lives, listen to this, will have one thing in common which is for sure for every single person and listening to this and here present today, none of us can escape this one common thing. Write this down. And that is all of us living, all of us alive today are moving closer to our deaths. Is that not a true reality for all of us? But watch this, there's a twist to this. To the believer, our death is not a place of final defeat. To the Christian, to the Son of God, our death is not nothingness. We don't just become one with the earth or reincarnate to a frog. To the believer, it is not nothingness, and it is not total and final defeat. To us, you should know this, hopefully you've learned this in Scripture, our death is the place of rest. Our death is actually a place of victory. Our death is eternal and everlasting life. That's what our death is that continues in the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Write this down. When we die as Christians, as believers, know this. Our lives just got better. What does Paul say to the church? It is better for me to what? It's better for me to go. Than to stay here with you, but for your benefit, I must stay here. But Paul's writing to the church, and he says, "Trust me; it's so much better for me to go to heaven already." Why? Because Paul understood that when he dies, life just gets better. It now truly begins for the believer, and we hold on to that promise. Do you see what Solomon is saying now? Do you understand? He's coming from a deeper place. He's not bashing the ones who are born. And he's not speaking ill of babies being born. But he's trying to teach the reader what he's learned in life. And I hope that you get this, that I get this. He's teaching us that life is a gift. Yes? So what do you do with this gift? You do well with it. You do well with the gift that God's given you. Please write this down. Life is a gift. Do well with it. You want to know something else? Here it is. You only get one on earth. And when we die and we stand before God, we'll never be able to say this. These words will never be able to come out of our mouths And it's this, Lord, can I please have a redo? He says, no. This is the end. This is the gift. You are given a life. You're not a cat that is given seven lives. Is it seven or nine? Whatever, nine lives. You're not a cat. You're God's creation, a human being. And God gave you a gift, the gift of life. Do well with it. There is no redos. So we could learn from some of the things that Solomon is saying. Church, can you repeat this with me? Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. I only have one life to live, and I'm, according to Scripture, past the halfway point. You're blessed to live 70 years, and if you go over 70, then amen. I'm already past the halfway point. So I've already lived, with God's grace, half my life. If he wants me to live to 70, if he wants me to live to older, I've already lived maybe half my life. That's all I got left. Where are you at? Lord, teach me to count my days so that I could grow in wisdom because I only got one life, one life to spare. May it honor you here on earth. You guys with me? Did the rain get you a little tired? He says some very wise things. He says things like this, and I know we've already said some of them. He says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. When you hear that right off the bat, you kind of get a little upset at Solomon. Like, how dare you say that? You have no heart? No, he does. He means something deeper. He says things like a wise person thinks a lot about death. Death. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. Hmm. doesn't mean that you think about death and you're fearing death. What it means is you know that there's a finish line. You don't waste your life in a good time without realizing, am I living for the finish line? He says things like it's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool very wise things, he says. He also says, finishing, I love this one. Finishing is better than starting. And patience is better than pride. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to just start the race. I want to finish the race. Amen? When my child started playing sports and they wanted to quit Halfway through, one of the worst things that a parent could do is say, oh, pobrecito, let's just quit because our little poor baby boy girl is hurt because of co-, and, and you take them out of the team. No, you teach your child, hey, if you started something, start learning how to finish it. Because if you start quitting now, you're going to quit in everything else in life. You're going to quit in your relationships. You're going to quit in your marriage. You're going to quit on your future children. You're going to quit in your careers. Hey, you're going to quit on God It's good that you started, but it's most important that you finish. How many of you could say amen? Amen. Patience is better than pride. You know to finish a race, you know what you need? You need a lot of patience. (laughs) You do. How many have been running a race for a long time? Do you need a lot of patience? We need patience to finish the race. Not pride. Pride will detour. Pride will cause us to go another route, pride can be dangerous. He also says things like control. I like that control, control. Take a hold of, take a grip, put a, uh, t- uh, take a grip of it. Take a hold of your temper, because it builds up this unwanted anger, and anger will always label you a fool. N- not the righteous godly anger, because I know what we're thinking. Well, there's a righteous godly anger, right? But how many times do we actually really lash out on the righteous godly anger and not on the foolish carnal anger? He says there's only <clears throat> there's only death and, and, and one should not ignore it. Lord, <clears throat> teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. I read that in the Hebrew, uh, how that's really written, how it should be translated in English is something close to this. Listen to this. To enter into, <clears throat> to enter into funerals than to exit out of parties. Actually, it's speaking about entering into and the people that are exiting out of is the proper way that that should have been translated. So we think about that, and we could say, well, people walk into parties all the time. I mean, come on, y'all. We live in Miami, Florida. There's parties everywhere, in every corner of every neighborhood, or you know exactly where you could drive to, to find yourself a party. But people walk out of parties, if you notice, with the same face that they had throughout the week. They walk out, maybe as one defeated, lost, not really finding their purpose. Listen to this. They leave the party unfulfilled with the same void. How many of you went to your party or you've gone to that party, but time went on and there's still that same void because the party, the good time will never satisfy or fill the void in your life. Come on, answer this question. What did the party do? If you're really honest, you could just say, just a little moment of fun. That's all it did, but no everlasting purpose. He says it's better to enter into funerals than to exit out of parties. That funeral could actually mean, in its proper language, to enter into the home of those who are mourning, into a house of someone mourning. If you remember, Jesus' friend Lazarus died Four days later, Jesus goes to their house and finds the sisters mourning. People are mourning in the house of Lazarus. Not necessarily the funeral, but the house of mourning. And Solomon says, just like Jesus went to the house of mourning, it's better for us to go into a home of people that are mourning. And you could read that and say, well, why would Solomon say such a thing? Because think about what that does to us. The home of one mourning gives us the ability to be a comforter, to be a friend, to be a helper. If you're a Christian, you've probably stepped into that role at some point when someone has passed, when someone has been afflicted tremendously. You've walked into their home and you've been a source of life for that family. And that's what Solomon is saying. In these moments, you have the opportunity to reflect even on your own life. Like where do I stand and how do I stand under the sun? Um, I just did a funeral last week and I saw the individual last week in his coffin. It was an open casket and um, he died, I would say, fairly young. And as I look at the casket and every funeral that I do, I've done tragic funerals, as you could imagine, funerals of great friends of mine. And funerals of of family members of our church or people that are outside that just call me. And I've done young kids, little babies, and I've done old grandparents and stuff like that. And none of them are good. They're all like, oh, you know what I'm saying? But you look at every single one of those caskets and whether you are going to be cremated or buried in the ground and whatever your better choice of being placed when you die, it's up to you. But I look at that and I say, no one is exempt from this one day someone will be speaking for my life. Huh? What will I say about me when I'm in the casket? When I'm there in those moments, I think about that, and I say, we'll all be there, and it's you could say, man, that's somber, that's dark. Why? Why is it somber and dark? It's reality for every single person. As much as we fear it and we scare it and we do all the kinds of surgeries to make us look young, you could do all the surgeries to make you look young. If you like that stuff, good, do it. But I want you to know that you can't escape the casket. Joan Rivers, guess what happened to her? She went to the casket with all her surgeries. And it will happen to every single one of us. But to the Christian, oh, it's victory.
0: It's better there. Into the house of
1: parties. Oh, Lord, teach me to number my days so that I can grow in wisdom. Can you say that? Lord, teach us to number our days so that I can grow in wisdom. Sometimes the house of mourners is, you should write this down. Because it's always good to reflect on the word on another day. Sometimes the house of mourners is more rewarding than the house of feasting. The house of mourners is more rewarding than the place of parting.
0: I speak to you from someone that has
1: been in parties and has been in the place of mourning. And the place of mourning have always held greater weight on my spirit. Oh, there's truth to what Solomon is saying, no doubt about it. There is so much truth. Oh Lord, teach us. He says, control your temper. I have to keep going. I found I could stay there for hours. Control your temper. I know no one in here, all of you have a great temper, right? Control your temper. Anger labels you a fool. Don't let your anger grow because you're impatient, Solomon is saying. See, he says uh, something that I found so interesting. He says, anger rests on the bosom of fools. Anger, one translation says it this way, lodges in the heart of fools. It doesn't take long to see a fool. I see them all the time on some of these CNNs and Fox News and all that stuff. You see them angry. They're like vipers. And their chest, their bosom, their heart is filled with anger. And we the Christian, we look at that and say, why would you live so foolish when you could live with joy? Wisdom is found in, in the patience of an individual. I want you to know that. That's what Solomon is saying. You see, when you have wisdom in your life, you're patient because you're wise. What do you mean by that? So you don't act hastily. You're not moved quickly by your emotions. You're patient. And because you're patient, you're able to think things through correctly. You're able to rationalize and so on. You with me? And that's what you do when you're wise. You find out on news. You don't automatically just go crazy and, and take out your weapon and say, well, I'm going to go over there. That's what foolish people do. You put on the news and, and, and they shot t- two and they killed the child and the, the husband killed the wife and the wife stabbed the husband and the child was drowned by the pain and you read these crushing things and you say it's because anger was in the heart of the fool and they didn't know how to be patient they didn't know how to act out they didn't know how to rationalize so because of their anger because they were so foolish they didn't have wisdom they room, they acted out and they hurt someone else and they affected someone else and be careful. Sometimes you speak too quickly. The best thing for some of us is shh, stop talking for a little while and stop moving for a little while and stop thinking you always have the right thing and you have the, the right advice and you're this person on a pet. Like sometimes just shh and be patient with the advice you want to give and be patient with the information you just got and be patient with the wrongdoing that was just done to you do you remember that Jesus was accused and beaten and what the scripture keeps saying yet he did not say a word 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 word. why? because he was patient in wisdom he was wise, he was wise and he was patient and when it was his time to talk he said I got seven things to say and he said seven things on the cross that today are monumental. Seven words on the cross that rock us. But it took patience with every beating, with every lash, with every mockery. The Bible said he said not a word until it was time. And he says, the wise man speaks now. And he said seven bold words. Powerful statements that today are recognized. Books are written about these seven statements. Books.
0: Because the wise man was patient. Oh, Lord. Teach us to number our days. So that we can grow in wisdom. Come on, you get mad you automatically get angry and you treat them bad. Come on, you get upset and you automatically get even. You're a fool, according to the Bible. So am I. I'm such a fool. You know how foolish I've been in my
1: life? Till yesterday. Yesterday. So this morning, oh Lord, teach me to number my days so that I can grow in wisdom.
0: But I have a final say,
1: but I have the right to. See, to be a fool is different. Where the wise person is patient, the fool is impatient. Anger begins to grow quickly because it's taken refuge, as Scripture says, in the heart of that fool. So for every and for any little thing, anger rises because it's settled. Listen to this. It's taken refuge in the bosom, in your chest, in your heart, and you act out on it. You know that there's a Scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? So you speak foolish because your heart is foolish. So we need the Lord to help us grow in wisdom. Can you practice something? Practice this with whatever information that was given to you, with whatever harm has been done to you, with whatever right you feel you have. Just hold it. Be patient with it. And let God use it for your good, for His glory. Don't be impatient with those things. Be wise. How many of you can say amen? Amen. Be wise. Our lives, though we've learned it's quick, though it's quick, it's not a race. You think quick. Oh my God, the life is fat. Life is fat and a vapor. Life is but a mist. It's here one moment, then it's gone. That means I have to be quick in life. I have to be quick in life. And I love that God, the kingdom of heaven is upside down. <laughs> he says, I get it. Life is quick, but your walk is not quick. Your life, it's a marathon. There, there, there are two things that seem paradox, right? Like they're, they're just two different things, but yet they're related to one another. It's a quick life, but it's a long race. It's a quick life, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So what do you do with your life? Here's what you do. You finish. You finish it well because it's better to finish than it is to start anything. He says in verse 8, finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. And then that's when he gets into control. Your temper for anger labels you a fool. Come on. Under the sun. Solomon is telling us some very important things. He's telling us to have self-control. He's telling us about our temper in our lives, this marathon that we're living. We're living a, we're walking, we're running on this marathon, and in this marathon, you're going to tweak an ankle, you're going to bust up a knee, you're going to trip and fall over the log, you're going to hit up the crooked pavement, and you're going to trip, And but it's a marathon. You relax, you have self-control. Look at the times you slip up and the times you fall and the times someone cuts you off in this long marathon Your temper I want to ask you this question Only you could be honest with god and i'm going to get out of here Because I don't want to feel like i'm picking on any of you because i'm really picking on myself too Here it is your temper be honest with yourself your temper. Do you control it? Or does it control you? I mean just you just answer that And that determines whether you're wise or whether you're a fool Let's get on the right path. Me and you together. Amen? I'm with you. Me and you together. If your actions, <clears throat> actions are based off anger, regal, you're called to work on it. Church, you're called to work on it. Because scripture labels me a fool. If not, our desire is to grow in wisdom, finish what we started. Let our patience, what does that patience mean? Our trust, our faith in Christ, push aside pride. And let it build up patience in us. Amen? Verses 10 through 14, he says, Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. I love this. It's a shout out to our podcast called The Good New Days. He says, Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything. Listen to this. But only wisdom can save your life. Hey, I'm not saying money's bad. But money ain't gonna save your life. It's not gonna go into that casket with you, and it's not, you're not gonna go to the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, in my bank account, I saved up $200,000. Please let me have at least one house. And the Lord looks at you and says, My streets are made of gold, son. <laughs> you're gonna bribe me with $200,000 for a shack in the kingdom of heaven when the streets are made of gold. It doesn't work that way. Isn't God awesome? Isn't the word of God just beautiful? Don't you just fall in love with it? Only wisdom can save your life. You know what the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It says all throughout Proverbs, same author. Beginning of understanding, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. So when we speak of wisdom, we're putting God there. God is the founder and the originator of all wisdom. He says in verse 13, Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. I love this part. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Not only is life, but a vapor on this side of eternity. Not only should you run like this life as a marathon, not a sprint, not quickly, patient marathon. But we also are reminded that life is uncertain. Life's uncertain, man. You woke up today, but were you sure when you went to bed that you were going to wake up today? (laughs) Like, that's amazing. Life's uncertain. Life's uncertain. Who knows what could happen when we walk out of this building? Life's uncertain for every single one of us. Nothing, Solomon says, lasts forever. He says, enjoy prosperity while you can. Because hard times, when they come and they strike, both comes from God, but remember that nothing in this life is certain. Solomon counsels us how to take the good and to take the bad that is in life and to put it into perspective. He says, take what life gives you And get along the best you can. Like, Who knows what could happen, but just do the best you can with both riches and with poverty. With hardships and with joys. I I thought about a scripture. It's again, forgive me for quoting him so much, but I think he does a marvelous job teaching us and living this out. Let's go back to Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 4. Look at what Paul says. Look at these words after what I just read from Solomon. Check this out. He says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be... What's that word, guys? Content. Content with whatever I have, verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Can you imagine that? Whether it is with a full stomach... Or an empty one, whether it's with plenty or with little. Verse 13, he says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What is Solomon saying? Same thing. Don't look at your past, he says, Solomon, and consider the good old days. We have a whole preaching on this called The Good New Days, and we have a whole podcast that is based off this mindset don't consider the good old days. He says, if you sit back always saying those were the good days, he says, that's not wise. Because <laughs> what are you calling the good days? Sometimes it was the party scene, when we were living wild, and we didn't have a care in the world, and we talked to our friends about it, and we say, man, those were the good old days, weren't they? Solomon says, no, that's not wise. You're lucky God saved you in those days. Those are not the good old days." It's not wise to say that. He says, "It's meaningless, it's vanity." And I ask you, were the good old days? Was it meaningless? Was it vanity? Come on, you should, you should answer that to yourself. What is the past, the past in your life, that is considered the good old days? Is it meaningless? Is it all vanity? Is it nothing but a vapor that really has no substance? because what Solomon is saying and what scripture teaches us is this that we have better days ahead write this down we have better days ahead listen to this the good new days are before every single one of us you've ever heard people always say the best is yet to come well guess what the good new days are just ahead of us are just ahead of us in last week's message we titled it the good life and we went through chapter six and I shared this verse. I'm gonna share it one more time with you. Look what Paul says to the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, so we don't look at the troubles that we see now, but rather, he's talking about the good new days. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. These good old these good old days will be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Those are the things, the good new days that are coming, those eternal things. Come on, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. Let's keep reading. He says in verse 15, just for sake of time to get out of here, he says, I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. Isn't that true? I've been asked that question so long. How come there's bad people that die on old age and then there's good people that God takes them early from the earth? And that's what Solomon is saying. Verse 16, he says, so don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? Hmm, is he going against what he just said? Verse 17, on the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? 18, pay attention to these instructions. And he says this next, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Now, Solomon is saying something here that I want to kind of highlight here and talk to you guys about for a moment. He's advising us to have a balanced life. Um, I wonder if you agree with him. Do you agree with Solomon? Do you agree that us, we should have a balanced life? I know that not everyone will agree with me or be a fan of what I'm about to say, and that's okay. We could always have these discussions. I don't think we're all meant to agree on everything, but I will say this. I don't think God called us to live a balanced life, not at all. One time, years ago, like, uh, like 12 years ago, I did a series. You know what I called the series? Unbalanced Christianity. I preached four messages or something like that on that series, Unbalanced Christianity. Do we believe that everything should be done even in moderation? David Guzik says, I'm going to quote him, he says this. Uh, it'll come up on the screen, I believe. He says, this is a common approach to life, thinking that everything is good in moderation, this has some truth to it, yes, some truth to it, but listen to this, but does not define a wise or good life. We should remember that both Jesus and Paul, as well as many others, were not considered balanced individuals in their day. Their understanding of eternity and accountability made them, in the view of many, unbalanced. As I read the scripture, I said, well, we need to make sure that this balance or this moderation is not placed in our lives to give us a reason to justify. Listen to this, because many of us Christians, we do this. We don't excuse ourselves to live carnal and sinful to then say we are Christ, we are in Christ, but in moderation. Or that we are in Christ, but we're balanced Christians. You can't say that you're a balanced Christian so that you can live a carnal and sinful life. That's not what pleases God. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? I'll put it to you this way. Why do I believe that we're not called to just live fully in moderation or live a life that is balanced? I'll prove it to you with one scripture text. You ready? Matthew 16, verse 24, 5, and 26. Watch this. Then Jesus says to his disciples, his students, his followers, he says, if any of you... Tell me if you think this is moderation. Tell me if you think this is balanced. If any of you wants to be my follower... Give up your own way. Take up your cross. Follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Hey, according to Matthew 16, you think you're supposed to live Christianity in moderation? Or imbalanced? No, he says to take up your cross. Give up your life and follow him. You don't balance Christ with anything. Christ takes over the
0: scale.
1: I thought at least one amen would be there. He takes over the scale. How many of you need to pray this? Lord, teach us
0: to number our days so that we would grow in wisdom
1: are you learning anything today all right i'm gonna finish reading the rest of chapter seven because we gotta go here's the rest of chapter seven one wise person here's some wisdom for you all is stronger than 10 leading citizens of a town Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Look like at verse 21. Some awesome truths here. Don't eavesdrop on others. You guys like eavesdropping on people? Be careful. Because you may hear your servant curse you. <laughs> wow. You like to eavesdrop on people, but guess what? Your friend, you're going to catch them when they saying bad things about you. Now what are you going to do with that information? You just eavesdro- You should have just thought you had the best friendship but you wanted to eavesdrop now what are you going to do with that information <laughs> but this is great this is just i love the scripture for what it is like i'm like i don't need to like i don't want to i don't want to play detective in people's life like people are like well why haven't you done anything about it because i'm not detective regal I mean, you guys are adults. you got to figure some of these things out. I'm not trying to eavesdrop some things in there and see how I backlash. I've done some things in, in my early years with the Lord, in my early years of ministry that have backfired on me that I've had to apologize to people and say, sorry, this, was, this one was my fault. I took action and I wasn't wise. And it's backfired on us, on the church. Forgive me for that. Verse 22 For you know how often you yourself have cursed others? (laughs) He's also saying, like, and have some patience with that friend. Because you caught them saying something about you, but come on. If you're honest, you've said some things too at some point or another, or you've thought them at least in your mind. Have some grace, huh? Verse 23, Solomon comes to this say, I've tried, man. (laughs) I tried my best. To let wisdom guide my thoughts and my actions. Have you guys said that? Yeah, I've tried my best, man. To let wisdom guide my thoughts and my actions. Look what he says. I, I I swear I could be here for hours just talking. It's so much fun. Just reading the word is so much fun. I've tried my best. I said to myself, I'm determined to be wise. You know how many times I've woken up and I said, today I'm going to be wise. And within 10 minutes, I am such a fool. I'm like, gosh, I determined it. I messed up on that text message. I messed up on that phone call. I messed up in, and I said, ah. Look what he says next. But it didn't work. Oh, Solomon. He says, wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere. I determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove myself that wickedness is stupid. And that foolishness is madness. I mean, he's on a rant, you know. He even goes and he says this. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap. More bitter than death. You think Solomon's gone through some things? He's like, man, some women have really messed me up in life. Look what he says. Her passion is a snare, her soft hands are chains, and those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. Hey, if you could do a homework assignment, here's your homework assignment read Proverbs chapter 7 he goes deep into this kind of individual and to escaping her trap and her snare. Go read Proverbs 7. I don't have time to read it, but it's it's a wonderful reference to this verse. And Solomon is writing this because maybe he knew a thing or two about getting caught in her snare, in her trap. What is that woman in your life? For some of you, it is that woman. And I'm talking to some men today saying, be very careful, enjoy, enjoy the breast of her her, her youth, your wife, enjoy your wife. Be very careful. The hands may feel soft of that other woman. I'm talking to some men, but know this, that those soft hands that feel so good on you, what it is, is it's a chain. And it's out to destroy you. Men, guard your woman by guarding yourself. Don't fall for her trap. Oh, she wears the cologne, Pastor. The perfume. She takes care of herself. My wife hasn't taken care of herself in so long. Listen, you're lucky. Your wife has dealt with you for so long. You treat her well. You don't fall for the snare of that. That just leads to death. Maybe some of you are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, what is the snare in your life that's soft, that feels good? But all it's doing in your life, it's binding you up and it's imprisoning you. But you like the way it feels. Oh, she feels good. He feels right. This feels what I'm supposed to do. But is it what God has called you to? So there goes everything you just said. Be careful. Be careful. Let's finish. Don't get caught in the trap. Be careful. Oh Lord, teach us to number our days. So that I could grow in wisdom. Let me not fall into the trap. I wanna be wise. Verse 27 and 28, and we're out of here. Solomon writes, This is my conclusion. I end this conversation with this. I discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. Solomon, man, he actually seems like a fun dude. Like, I would like to sit with him and just hear him talk. Though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Wow. That's it? That's your conclusion? That's your end? He goes on, he even says this, Only one out of of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. Ladies, he's not talking bad about you. Don't read this. You know how I know this? Because back at his palace, he had 700 of them. So he loved all of you very well. He's not talking bad about you. It just shows us the companionship of women that he had. That's all it is. I couldn't figure out all the men in life. He says, in my life. And all the women in my life, even more, I couldn't figure it out. And he says in verse 29, but I did find this. He says, love this, look what he says. God created people to be virtuous but here's the problem what do we do we have they have each turned to follow their own downward path it's almost as if solomon is looking at a mirror isn't it and he says god called me to be a righteous king a virtuous king but i went against him and i fell down my own path He's also speaking about Genesis chapter 3 here. We see that clearly. Adam and Eve were meant to be sinless, live in paradise, in a garden that God gave them just for them, everything perfect. But what has man always done since Adam and Eve? We go our own way, we take the path of sin, we fall for the trap. You know the casket picture at the funeral? May I never say this, Lord. I have searched repeatedly, but I have not found what I was looking for. That's it, we're done. What are you looking for? This is the part where it gets dangerous, where I shouldn't do This is where I, I might not be wise. <laughs> Go back, don't be a fool. But I'm worried because you know my, I don't, I'm not gonna give my kids a phone yet. I don't know what your view is on that. I'm gonna try to stretch it as long as I can. Hopefully my daughter, by the time she's 40. <laughs> God, I'm 40, can I have the, think I can leave the house now? Okay. Just kidding. But I see a lot of these like young girls and as they get older, Have you noticed the 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 craze that everyone wants wants to look like him? So they do their bone structure, their nose, their lips, their hips, their lips, their hips. And they wanna they want to portray that image of that person, that icon that they see on on social media. What are they searching for? Is there no wisdom to see that with all her beauty? She still hasn't found the lover of her soul. What relationship number is she on now? I, 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 wanna, I wanna go in the casket and they could say that man was the husband of Nancy. Good job. What, what are you looking for? What, what do you find wisdom in? Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can grow in wisdom. That we would finish. Start, yes, but finish for sure. That we would have self control. That we would be patient that we would not grow in anger. Lord, make us wise. Teach us. Can you say it one last time? Lord, teach us to number our days and to grow in wisdom.